Hello, everyone. You're listening to Say No to Tyranny, Say Yes to Barbecue podcast that seeks to flood the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea, as it says in Habakkuk 2.14. How are we doing today? Thank you guys for listening. Um, you can find our podcast on Spotify and iTunes. If you would subscribe and follow that podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, we're doing this to glorify God in all er- areas of life because Christ is king over every square inch of the earth. Today we have a uh, gentleman that is coming on the podcast. His name is Charlie Bookwater. He grew up in Vermilion County, Indiana, graduating from Indiana University, Bloomington, with a Bachelor of Science degree in Legal Studies and a minor in Political Science. After 9-11, Charlie answered George W. Bush's call and enlisted in the U.S. Special Forces, serving as a Special Force Senior Medical Sergeant. He completed two combat tours, earning multiple awards, including the Bronze Star for service in combat. He remained active duty until 2012. After returning to Indiana, Charlie reconnected with a close friend he met while doing an internship at the Pentagon. Together, they developed a commercial property in Frankfurt, Indiana, while working for Intuitive Surgical to, through, uh, from 2014 to 2021 as a medical device surgical representative. He then opened a Jimmy John's as the anchor store. Charlie lives in Thorntown, Indiana on a small homestead with his wife, Beverly. They homeschool their three daughters, Natalie, Josephine, and Sadie. He is an active member and servant at Lebanon Christian Church. Charlie, thanks for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Very good morning to you, Matt. Thank you. So uh, reading your bio here a little bit, it's an interesting bio. So how old were you back in uh, 2001, September 11th, when the towers came down? How old was I? Gosh, I was, uh, I'm terrible at math. <laughs> I was born in 76. I was, I went in, enlisted in 2006 and I was 29. So I was about 24 years old. Okay. All right. So, um, so the towers came down and that obviously influenced you in a way that you d- decided to join the army special forces. And then it says that you, uh, were awarded a bronze star. What is, what, what, how do you, what do you have to do to get that award? Um, there's a few different ways that you can get it. Um, but, uh, serving in, uh, you know, combat zones and, uh, usually being in combat is a, a way of, of earning it. Um, they do have bronze stars with valor. That's if you get injured while you're in combat. Uh, so they just have different ways, but, um, of earning that specific Metal is not easy to earn. Not everyone gets. It's not just that you serve in combat. It's that you serve with distinction. So it's not like a trophy for every kid that plays on the t-ball right. team. Yeah, there's different layers. Here's a, it's interesting you say that because it, it, it kind of goes in layers. So if you're in infantry, which special forces are part of infantry, um, it just to be in combat, you, there is an award for that. It's called a combat infantry badge. I do have that badge, but that's just you know if you're slinging lead, you know, back and forth. Um, but then to serve with distinction, uh, then you get higher level of awards, and that that would be like the Bronze Star. And, and we got it because our whole team got that award because we were in combat. We were there at the very beginning of what they called were village stability operations in Afghanistan, which is similar to what the Vietnam era Green Berets did, which is living among the locals, which we did, training them, 
to um, fight tyranny and fight oppression uh, by fighting the, the forces that they were fighting against in their local communities. Uh, and we did it. We were one of the first teams that did it. So we were just a 12-man ODA that lived an operational detachment, Alpha, that lived out in the middle of nowhere, just the 12 of us. And we lived among the locals. So we were going to close. We drove their vehicles. Um, and we took on some risk just by living out in the middle of nowhere. We, you know, we ate their food. Uh, we lived right among right alongside them there's actually some funny stories that come with that about us eating their food and then getting very sick but you know, it is what it is you know it is what it is you just you do what you gotta do so give me one dish that you ate that they is considered their food uh well there were we ate a lot of goat and chicken and beet and potatoes that was our staple we ate potatoes with a, like a tomato sauce in it and either chicken or goat as a meat and that was what we ate for breakfast and lunch and dinner for the most part. Oh wow! Um, something that made us sick was that a custard, a um, I'm sorry, a uh, yogurt thing that they made, and a few of us drank it. And it just made us so sick uh, that we were out, you know, for a couple of days each, just with nausea and. So you probably issues. didn't eat that or drink that very often after you learned that it was making you sick, or were you forced to eat it more than you wanted to? Nope, took one time. No one, no one had it again. <laughs> he just took one shot. So, how do they cook their like goat and stuff over there? Because obviously, this uh, has the word barbecue in the podcast name. So, I like talking yeah. about cooking. <clears throat> do they just do they have stoves and ovens like we do here, or do they do it underground in pits? How do how do they uh, how do they cook their meat? That's a good question, man. It's awesome that you know we get to talk about this because this is not something you, I think about that often, but. You know, which I'm fond of thinking back about this. First of all, we had a bunch of MREs and some guys would choose to just eat those MREs meals ready to eat. I, I, I chose not to do that. I would, I preferred eating a real food and and at least half the team did the same. Uh, one of the greatest commodities in Afghanistan and in any third world country, most people don't realize this is power. Uh, so in Afghanistan where we were, there was no power there were only generators and if you had a generator then you were doing better than you know probably 80 percent of the people farmers farmed at night when it was cool um and the only time you saw lights or anything was when we were on uh, guard on top of our building and you could see generators running and there were very few of them so they would hook up generators to little cooking stove apparatuses or use fuel in in uh, cooking stove apparatus and they would just use oil and water they would either boil it or they would uh, fry it and uh, similar to would be like i guess a wok kind of um, uh, piece of kitchen equipment so do they use seasonings or i mean do they take their food as serious and i get that you know america is a very rich country and we are out of control on a lot of things but do they take their food seriously like on how they cook it. Do they take pride in their in their food? Do they season it well, or do they just want protein and carbohydrates in their body? Yeah, I can't answer for you know all Afghanis because in any environment when you're living like that, living out of a bag, you know, with no running water, no power, everything's limited. So, um, you know, and then the you know, the means by which you do things, everything's limited. So. It was seasoned, but it wasn't like, you know, where there wasn't a, a rack, a shelf of, 
um, spices, and, yeah, herbs and spices, particularly herbs, if you think about it. So we were able to get salt and pepper. But it's interesting again. It's interesting you bring it up because it was uh, it was the American influence with these local Afghanis that were cooking for us, and we would we would have to tell them like, hey, you know, you need to go get this or go get this to add to our food, right? We need some salt in our food or we need some, but I think we did also just become a little bit more accustomed to eating blander food, yeah. you know, and we were hungry. You're always hungry over there, you know, in those kinds of environments, you're almost always hungry. Yeah, that's very interesting. I don't have too many opportunities to talk about that kind of stuff. And it always kind of interests me on some of those stories that usually people don't talk about. So you joined, you, you felt the call to join the army, um, and you did that. You answered that call. Now, fast forward, we're in 2022, and you're answering another call, and that is you are running for public office, and you are running for U.S. House of Representatives in Indiana on the 4th Congressional District. What counties does the 4th Congressional District make up? Um, I will give you, okay, I will, this should include all the changes, but it's, it's rather large. So I live myself in Boone County. Boone County is almost the middle of the state, just north of Marion County. If you go south, it includes Hendricks County, parts of Marion County, west to Put- Putnam County, then north to Montgomery County, which is Crawfordsville, Indiana, then west to Fountain County, which is almost right on the border then straight north up the border to Warren County, Tippecanoe County, which includes Lafayette, Benton County, Newton, and Jasper. And that's the northernmost port up there on the Kankakee River. And then a little bit southeast to White, over to Cass, Carroll, and parts of Howard County, which includes Kokomo. So you got a, you got a lot of uh, area to cover when you're um, running for that district, it sounds like to me. I don't yeah, have a map it, it, in front of me, but is it mainly rural or, it, I mean, you said it included Kokomo, uh, but what yep. is it mainly rural, rural or do you have a, a lot of cities in there? It is, I would say it is primarily rural. That does include Clinton County, which is <clears throat> Frankfurt. That's where our Jimmy John's is. But yes, Hendricks County down there outside of Indianapolis, west of Indianapolis is the largest county. Um, and then Tippecanoe County where Lafayette is, um, and then Howard County, but not so much anymore because with redistricting, there's only two precincts over there now that include Howard County. Boone County is kind of large with parts of, uh, with most of Lebanon and, um, you know, that, that uh, built up area in Boone County. So, but, but by and large, yeah, Matt, it's, it's mostly rural. Okay. All right. So going back to what I was saying earlier, so now you're running, why, what got you to the point to say, hey, you know what, I need to throw my hat in the ring and I need to run for public office? Well, I mean, you did an intro and it shows there that I did study political science in college. And although I didn't necessarily anticipate running for office, I have always been interested in this, uh, interested in politics, interested in philosophy and political philosophy, um, in the philosophy of the founders and of John Locke. Um, I love John Locke. Anyhow, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's he and Newton and um, and uh, another thinker back then were just revolutionary thinkers of our time. But Locke's ideas about where our rights come from are just revolutionary um, in helping establish, you know, a first contract that all citizens can live under, um, where where our rights are given by 
God and not by a government. And that wasn't um, even developed here in the uh, in North America. I believe that was developed overseas, either in Britain or Europe. Are you? Do you know which John Locke? I mean, was? Maybe, yeah, he was in Europe, and maybe it, you know, it, it's a. It started like in 1100 with Henry the First saying that the church and state must be separated, and then the Magna Carta was another big yes. step that moved us towards a contract that was written down and not just uh, so capricious that, you know, any leader could change it, you know, because it wasn't written down, uh, but then continue to evolve to include and and really highlight our individual sovereign rights that I think the most important thing, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question about why I'm doing this, is the idea that our, our rights come from God, right? Our, we have sovereign rights that come from God. They don't come from government and that we don't have to beseech government for uh for our abilities to do certain things you know and we've come so far from that idea that now like everyone has their hands out requesting government money and which all comes with government with um strings attached and everyone is just asking for permission permission all the time and we you know those of us patriots and know this isn't right we've got to stand up and do something about it so that is why i'm doing it because i don't i do not believe that the republican leadership in indiana and some you know nationally are fulfilling the core beliefs the core values of the republican party values like limited government responsible government federalism free and fair elections open and transparent government i don't believe that those are being held up. Um, and that's why, um, you know, and, and that and, you know, my life being disrupted over the last two years, much like yours, um, because of your business, and I could, was completely sympathetic to you. I have a completely different take on what happened based on, you know, my corporate job and me owning a Jimmy John's and the government picking winners and losers and then seeing businesses like yours get shut down. Uh, and we talked about it at the Liberty Defense Pact, but that's why I sought you out is because, you know, I saw what was going on up there. I've never, never met you before. I didn't know, but we contributed to your um, legal fund because it just wasn't right. You were fighting and we wanted to support people that were fighting. Well, thanks so much, Charlie, for donating to us. We really appreciate it. Um, Honestly, I mean, we are humbled by the support we got. We are thankful and we are grateful. Um, now there's a lot I want to unpack with what you just said. So you own a Jimmy John's and we know that a Jimmy John's is a corporation. It is a franchise deal, um, that is nationwide, I believe. Um, and, and so why did you have any problems with the health department? What, what stance did you take? I guess is where we need to start on this. What, what stance did you take when all these governor's mandates and edicts started coming down the pipeline? Yep. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. So first of all, I was working for Intuitive Surgical at the time, and I had um, close friends and family managing the store for the first four years that we had opened it. And I was in medical device sales, working in healthcare in the hospitals every day. Um, and about the beginning of 2021, I just saw the writing on the wall. There were things in my in my corporate job that were not um, that I just it was hard for me to stand by witness. Uh, one of them was the diversity inclusion uh, classes and things that we had to talk about, which is just, again, it's living a lie. It's living a lie to say it's okay to have these certain types 
of doctors, but it's not okay to have these certain types of doctors, all based on just gender or race, right? Um, and then I saw the writing on the wall with the COVID jab, the vaccines coming out. The hospitals were coming very strict about uh, requiring the flu vaccine, which I hadn't taken for three or four years. I, we, I didn't want to. And it's hard. You can't get in those hospitals without, you know, taking all these things. And my company was already talking about mandating the COVID vaccine, which they ultimately did after I resigned. Um, but that wasn't the only reason I went over to Jimmy John's. Now, to answer your question, yeah, the Jimmy John's was facing a lot of um, pressure from the health department. So I got two phone calls at least and one nasty letter because people were calling in to the Jimmy John, calling into the health department because we were not forcing masking and social distancing. So the stance I took as the owner and leader of that store with the management was, we're not separating our tables. We're not changing, rearranging everything. Customers can still get their chips and drinks and cookies. They can touch it. We're not gonna wipe everything down and go crazy with all this. Uh, remember that? Remember wiping everything down? <laughs> remember all that? I do. And the, yep. <laughs> and we, we didn't put stickers on the floors. We didn't separate anything. And I did not mandate masks. Um, so we got a lot of nasty calls about that. Now, I would say it was about 70, 30%. 70% did not wear masks. About 30% did. We have a lot of high school kids that work there that wore a mask all day long and then were relieved to be able to come to work and take it off. Although, and there were many of them that wore it all day long and just continued to wear it throughout the day. But I didn't judge because, you know, I just didn't judge people. I just gave people the option. Um, so, yes, I did have to fight back against uh, the health department. And I just told them, I told them I am not doing it. I am not going to comply. I am not going to force masks in my store. I'm not going to separate everything. And I told the health inspector uh, a couple times, if you get these phone calls from people that we're not masking, you tell them that there are other places in Frankfurt that they can go eat. And I can encourage them to go visit those places. But as for us, we're going to, we are going to run this business the way we feel fit. And you know, due to government picking winners and losers, our numbers went up considerably in 2021. But I believe it's also because the people in Clinton County knew without a doubt they had a place to go that was clean, that was uh, that was like going back into 2019. We weren't judging. We didn't force masks on anybody. It wasn't everyone masked up. It was a normal place to come. And our numbers exploded in, in 2021. And I think that's part of it. Part of the reason. So that is about the exact same stance that I took. And, you know, we learned that some get blessed and some get sawn in half. <laughs> and I would say, in a sense, we got sawn in half because, you know, we took that same stance for the most part. We didn't even probably go as hard line as you did. We did separate the tables. We did put up some plexiglass, things like that. Um, however, we had the same stance when it came to masks is you can wear them if you want to, but we're not forcing it. And, and so our health department had a different approach on dealing with us. And that was, they're going to come in and make an example out of us. And so that's what happened. Do you think that the only reason you didn't get shut down is because you're a corporate business? Or do you think if you were a private business in that County, you would have had the same treatment of just getting threats and nothing really happening? Um, I, I can't answer for the health department. I don't know. I'd like to think that we're in a rural community and 
Um, and they just kind of saw that there wasn't 100% compliance in the first place. And perhaps it's because of the way I handled the conversations with them respectfully, but firmly. And I'm not saying you didn't, but I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you saw it in half. But <laughs> in a way, we did too. You know, yes, I'm a franchisee. And yes, they're a corporate store, but I own that store outright. And although I do have to <clears throat> follow certain rules within the Jimmy John's franchise agreements, uh, you know, that is my store. And they are very much hands off for the most part about a lot of things. And that and I'm bringing that up to tell you, that's where I got in trouble with them, too. Um, you know, Jimmy John's uh, corporate, they mandated masks for everyone. And I didn't do that. So I got a lot of phone calls from them as well. So I was fighting it on both sides. And I told them the same thing. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do this. And that, you know, that also has repercussions. Uh, we also close on Sundays. And that is me taking it. And I admit it. I took advantage of COVID in that way. You know, you we still are reeling from having enough labor. Uh uh, cost of goods has shot through the roof. You know this too. Our cost of goods are incredible. All that that profit that we made in 2021, there's nothing to show for it because we got ahead of labor and it increased our labor yeah. payroll significantly. Um, and uh, the cost of goods is is considerably higher too. Um, so all that you know profit is gone. But we still closed on Sundays because we were having a labor shortage. But also like. You know, God commands us to have a day of rest. And although I prefer to be closed on the Sabbath, I guess, on Saturday, that doesn't really work in that society, in our society. And Sunday, I was able to get away with it. So our store is still closed on Sundays, and it's probably one of very few stores that is closed on Sunday. And again, I've gotten a lot of phone calls, and I've told them I'm not going to open this store. So at this point, Matt, I tell you all that to tell you that uh, I could probably never own a Jimmy John's again at this point because – I'm not what they would probably consider a a um, franchisee in good standing. Okay, I guess. So you yeah. are you are uh, paying some repercussions of that decision through the franchise itself and through the government, um, and so. That is an amazing story uh, because it, it sheds a light on just how we deal with things like viruses and and government overreach. So my question to you at this point, Charlie, would be, why didn't you just comply to the mask? I mean, you throw on that mask, you're protecting everybody. Nobody gets the virus. The masks are stopping the pathogens that are small enough to go through it, but somehow they're magical. And I'm being a little facetious here. Yeah. But why, why, why didn't you comply? Why, why didn't you comply and wear the mask? It's probably a mix of a few things, but I'll try to give you the best answer. So when I was in the Army Special Forces, I was called an AT Delta. I was a senior Special Forces medic. So to get that status, it was a 52-week training program in, in Fort Bragg um, where they train all the Navy SEAL medics and Green Beret medics and Ranger medics and some Air Force medics. Um, and we, it's an in-depth course. So it's 52 weeks. We, I delivered babies. I did C-sections. I circumcised uh, boys in the Philippines. Um, I treated gunshot wounds. Uh, I uh, did animal veterinary work in Afghanistan. Very robust program that allows uh, a student of that program to come out as nearly a paramedic, essentially, 
uh, a lot of guys end up going to be EMTPs or PAs or doctors. Uh, so I, I bring it to the reason we studied infectious diseases. We carried all these drugs with us in Afghanistan and treated the locals for all kinds of parasites. Uh, we saw thousands of people uh, in Afghanistan. You know, I took out teeth. So, so, you know, so on and so on. When I came back, I knew I could parlay that experience into a medical device sales job, which is a very lucrative job in sales. And then, so what did, where did, that took me into the OR, where I was in surgery every single day. Um, and in the OR, and just like what you learn in, to be a trauma, so we did amputations in special forces. Um, you learn how, what a sterile environment is really like. You learn about what, you know, wearing masks and being sterile and you just see medicine for what it is. And so for the last seven years, I was in the OR in Indiana and some parts of Illinois. And when, when the pandemic started, when COVID started, you know, I was watching it very closely at the end of 2019 november december my family and i live on a 30 acre farm like we we you know we're so-called preppers right like that's what we do we have animals that's what we do so if, if this was going to affect anybody it would be a guy like me that would say okay well, it's time to you know button down the hatches and shut up shut the shop up and everyone you know uh, quarantine in there but that's not what i was seeing that's not what the data was showing that's not what was presenting and then when it started, that's not what we were seeing in the hospitals, despite what people were saying. Um, they were setting up tents and no one was going in them and so on and so forth. So within the first week or two, uh, I saw this for what it was. I didn't, I, it, is, it was not a so-called face melting pandemic that was killing 25% of the people indiscriminately. Um, and the, the facts have started to you know, show that, but at the time you could just see that empirically you could see that in your own communities. This was not having the effect that they were trying to tell us that it was. And they were taking measures, emergency measures, that are so far beyond the pale that we wouldn't even consider those if you're a patriot, even if there is a 25% death rate. Like, that's terrible and it's tragic. But you don't take away your personal and individual freedoms, even in times of an emergency. And here we were letting it happen to us for something that was you know, amounted to a, a, a flu season, right? And I, I, I believe that I was one of many that kind of saw that from the beginning. And I knew that we had to take a stand or we're, or we're gonna get run over by, by the people that are profiting from this. They're profiting through, through, you know, financially they're profiting and they're profiting through the consolidation of power and decision-making uh, and not just in D.C., but in, through global organizations. And it's terrifying and it's scary. And that is the evil that we're up against. So w prior to us coming on and, and recording, we were talking a little bit. And through our conversation, it was interesting because we both have been living off of the the same motto, mo mo uh, motto here in the last uh, couple years. And that is we refuse to live by lies. So essentially what I hear you saying is, is that we're not calling the pan the the virus or the pandemic like it is out there people are getting sick people have lost their lives people have gotten extremely sick and we're not i'm not denying that i'll speak for myself and i assume you're not either 
Um, mm-hmm. But what we are saying is, is everything the government has done to try to convince us that this is the way we need to deal with this has been lies. Um, masking, social distancing, nowhere in the history of medical thought has that ever stopped a respiratory virus. Vaccines never has it stopped a respiratory virus. They're always playing catch up. They're always bringing out the booster about six months too late. And so we find ourselves being told every day through media, through the government, that this is what we need to do. We need to do our part. We need to we need to be good neighbors. We need to love our neighbors. And this is how we need to do it. And that is objective truth. And what you and I have said from the beginning is that's not objective truth. That is a lie. So that's a big difference. There's a big gap there. Um, it, not, it, it never really was, this might be true. No, it, this is a lie and this isn't about health. And we recognize that very early. My question to you, Charlie, is why do you think people are so quick to just do what the government says to do or the media says to do, and they take that as gospel and there is no differing opinions that count going forward? It's just whatever they tell me. Why why are people doing that? Yeah, so the what you're referencing, for me, we came about it in two different places, but for me, it was come through the the book live not by lies by rod dreher who is i believe a lutheran minister he may not be lutheran but he is a minister he's written a few books um and it it's it uh, the the original is from the essay that solzhenitsyn wrote as he left he was kicked out of russia live not by lies it's a very short essay you can find it online but he just warns people that as soon as you do start living lies and giving into the narrative that the powers that be or the elitist or the government starts um, controlling, then you've lost the fight. So why, why is it that people do it? I, 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 I'll use you know, the book as a reference. I kind of agree with what this is. You know, there have always been powers that want to, that leaders that want to consolidate power and want to um, accumulate power, take over the world. I mean, it's, it, it sounds silly, but it actually is very much the case that there's always been leaders that wanted to do this. But that is very difficult to do in the 21st century. Um, it's hard to have a hard totalitarian stance like they did in Russia, for example, when Russia took over took over the Czech Republic and just outright killed priests. They just killed Catholic priests. They would take 20 at a time and shoot them in the head and bury them. That would be hard to do in the United States. But the way they're able, so the way that they're able to do this is through soft totalitarianism. They're able to create a society, and it's, it's not literally they, they, it's just maybe human nature that it's easier to you know, have your iPhone in front of you, to order whatever it is you want at the tip of your fingertips, to uh, have, it, have any kind of gratification in a very short period of time. And by that lifestyle, giving into that lifestyle has given a the opportunity for some people again to push on this this soft tyranny through controlling people that would rather just have an easier life. Like you said, you set it up at the beginning of the 
when you're asking me about the pandemic, you know, why didn't you just put a mask on? It's easier. Why didn't you just do this? It protects everyone. Well, <clears throat> that, that's right. That is the easier thing to do. And having a principled stance like you and I have clearly proven that we've done in the last two years, it comes at a cost. There's no doubt about it. You, you said yourself, you were sold in half in the last two years. My life has been turned upside down, you know, financially and emotionally and, um, the only way it hasn't been turned upside down is spiritually. I think everyone is emboldened spiritually recently. Um, but yeah, so that's what I think that, uh, I think it's easier for people to not, to not rest on principle, to, um, continue in their path of a more of a hedonistic lifestyle, uh, that they don't want to be disrupted. And it's just easier to just go along, to get along and to keep the money coming in, to live a lifestyle that is uh, materialist, materialistic, as opposed to uh, a lifestyle that's, I don't want to say harder, it's more fulfilling, uh, but you know, with less of a race towards the money, less of a worship of money and power and influence, and more of a race towards, you know, um, you know, humanism, getting back to the basics, you know, homeschooling, homesteading and home church is I've heard a few podcasters say that I really like that idea a lot. So I don't know if that was, that was a concise. No, that's good. I think, I think that that's probably half of it. If we're going to cut a pie or make a pie graft, I would say that everything you just said is half of it. I would say the other half, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this is that people are scared to die. People live in fear. Um, I think that, yes, and amen, that people don't, they want a comfortable life. They don't want to, they don't want to buck the system because they want their paychecks and they want to keep going with their careers and they want to do all these things, which is totally understandable. And they should be able to do that because we live in a country to where we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so I get that. I get that. I get that standing up and, and um, taking a stand is costly, and most people are not willing to do that because they are scared or they are in fear of losing their livelihoods, losing their prestige in the community, their name, their reputation, all those things. I, and I understand it. But there's another part to that coin or another side to that coin that I think people are scared to death to die. I think that is because they are not right in their faith. I think they know it because God's law is written on our hearts and we suppress the truth. And we know that we are going to have to face judgment one day. And so I think that a lot of people as well are not living right with, with, with God. They are not um, living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And therefore, they are scared to death to die. And so therefore, they want to make sure that they stay alive because they fear judgment. What do you think of that? And do you think that plays a part in, and I can flush it out more if you want me to, but does that play a part in why people are complying as well? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Because if you pay attention at all, if you're spiritual and you listen to messaging and you do Bible study, yeah, there's no doubt about it, you know, that... um, that fear um, motivates people to do certain things. 
Um, but I think at the same time, I'd be curious to know, you know, but hadn't that always been the case that we've always been in the minority, that there's always been people that aren't right with God. I mean, we've got many examples in that, the great flood and um, uh, other examples of, of the Lord, uh, you know, um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, where there's just so many people and so many sinners that the Lord finally decides to do something about it. But Yeah. No, um, and you're right. But the difference, I guess, with this would be is that everybody saw this coming. Right, like with the flood, they just didn't believe it. They didn't think the they didn't think it was going to rain because they never seen rain before. They didn't, you know, with when in in Sodom, they, their hearts um, were they just they 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 they, uh, they didn't see it coming in a sense either. Um, but with this pandemic, quote unquote, um, they saw it coming from China. They, can't, they, they saw it coming from around the world. They knew it was coming. It's like right now they are predicting 40,000 inches of snow up north. And so here where I live, I think we're called to get 12 to 18 inches at this point. And so we see the snow coming. And so then it, it causes more fear rather than, you know, and, and so we're going to prepare and you should prepare. But... I'm saying that people saw this coming and they and they started believing the lies that the the media was shoving down their throats and they started getting fearful of their lives and then they're going to grasp onto any ounce of hope to make sure that they are safe. So yes, I'll stand six feet away from you at the grocery store. Yes, I'll put on a surgical mask that the CDC now comes out and says has zero effect. Mm-hmm. on stopping the virus which we were saying from the beginning from and the beginning. and so i'm saying that people want to put their hope in something and it seems like a lot of people are putting their hope in the wrong thing and that was just kind of a side no, no, point I we think, don't so that, yeah that no that's probably what i've no no i think that is a very important point about it because again that makes me think about that a book again by rod Dreher, but that's their that's their um, idea as well is that you know in the last hundred years religion you know faith in Jesus religion not, not necessarily religion but faith has been um, usurped by the state right so so people now their religion now is the state and everyone's heard that before but particularly with left liberalism at, you know, they put all faith and trust and treat the state like a deity. I mean, if you just think of all the things we do for the state. Some of it, if I say it, will be offensive to even conservatives like myself. But, you know, uh, saluting and just doing things that are so much that if you think about it, the parallels to religion are very similar. That that's OK if you have a strong faith and you can differentiated that this is not my god i will bow to no man i will bow to no entity other than the lord right if you can still say that then you can you know you can believe in the state without worshiping the state but i think too often there is a large percentage of people that they treat the state like a religion that is their religion and that is very dangerous um and and, and I, I don't have many more questions you have, but I do want to talk about, you know, where we met at the Liberty and Defense Pact and how important that was to me 
to come around and see all those people there. I don't know if you have any other follow-up questions. You, you know what? We got some time, brother, so go ahead. Yeah, so that was just uh, – I wanted to make a point of this because this was – it was almost like when I, was, when I joined the Special Forces in 2006 is when I went active duty. I was in the Guard before, but that's when I went active duty and went into um, Special Forces. It was a very difficult – decision it was anguishing almost i wasn't yet married i had a professional career in healthcare, i had a great job and i just had a sense of duty to pull it was like i say almost anguishing to make that decision a lot of time and praying and um ruminating went into that decision and the you know this decision to run was if equally if not more anguishing i because <clears throat> i always felt that this was, I just prayed about it so much. I thought, God, if this is what you want from me, then I'll do it. And I'll, I won't doubt. And I'll have faith that this is where you're sending me. And I met with my pastor and I talked to my wife multiple times and close family. It took months and months. I, mean, I can't even tell you how many months it took for me to finally end up where I am right here. And then I go to the Liberty Defense Pact thinking this is not that it's all about me, but you know, th this is why how I got here. And then you heard all the people that said there's probably, I don't know how many are, 40 to 50 uh, Liberty candidates that are running for the Indiana State House that belie believe in the same way we're talking right now. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, they they're saying the same thing that I've been telling people. They're, they believe the same thing I believe in. And they came about this the same way. They weren't necessarily, they're not a politician. They're a common man. This is a common man or a common woman that feels a calling to get involved and to do something, to try to turn this ship around and, to, and aim our lights back on the founding principles, right? I, I was so excited and invigorated about that. I couldn't believe it. And I realized, ah, I'm not the only one. This isn't just me that sits and prays about this and anguishes over these decisions. So you probably knew there were more that I did, but I, I, I didn't. And, uh, it's encouraging that. And, and what I do know is, is it's not just in Indiana, that this movement, this spiritual awakening, uh, is happening across the United States. And there are liberty minded candidates that are, that are stepping up, that, uh, are willing to take on some risk to help lead the country in the right direction. Now, my further prayer is, and I pray about this, um, those of us that do get elected, including myself, uh, comes from Titus 2, I think it's 10 or 11 through 15, which is when we do get elected and go to Washington, D.C., that we will continue to, to live rightly and with uprightness, righteously and upright, right? Because there may be some people that say they're willing to stand up and to live not by lies and to you know uh you, you know only have god as our true leader but what happens when people throw a lot of money at you or honey pots or whatever and i just hope that many of us that are standing together today can hold that conviction through to the end because there's you know there's a road a mile long of people that have made these same same claims uh, and then they go to the swamp and become corrupted. And um, I'm adamant that that's not going to happen to me. And I pray that it's not happening to those of us that are part of this movement that are 
like like I say, that are it's across the United States that are wanting to bring this cat country back on track. So, yeah, and here's the thing. So that that's twofold, right? So if you stick to your convictions and in your word, and I'm not talking just about you. I'm talking about everybody running for state representative. You're not going to have to worry about money being thrown at you because nobody's going to be throwing money at you. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get money from the teachers union. You're not going to get money yep. from Michael Bloomberg. You're not going to get yep. money from the NRA. You're Big not going to get money uh, from pro- industrial complex. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not, they're going to be putting money towards your primary candidate next election. So that's one shield, I guess you got against worrying about that. But yeah, you're right. You know, and as I was have been interviewing candidates here over the last couple of weeks, like it isn't the same message. Now, I'm not saying some won't get to the state house and cave, and that could happen, and we pray against that as well. We really do. But the message that you guys are bringing to the table is way different than any other politician has brought to the table outside of John Jacob and Kurt Nisley that I have ever seen. And so... So a lot of people haven't been bringing this message, honestly. I mean, they, they may say I'm pro-life, I'm for limited government, but it's so generic and, it, and yep. it's not true and their voting records prove it that th- that's the status quo. But what I see with this group of 40-plus people running for the state representative across the state of Indiana is that not only are we these things, but let us define what these things mean. <clears throat> And it's all rooted in the Word of God. And so the the question is, is not whether you're going to get to the state house and rule um, in a way that is good for people. That That's part of it. But the, the real question is, is are you going to get to the state house and rule out of the fear of the Lord? And that's what he has called every ruler to do in Scripture, is to rule in the fear of him. And when you rule in the fear of him, then the people are blessed. And so, I mean, you read Romans 13, it talks about that. It talks about, it's a very limited rule. God gives it to people and they have a certain duty on how they have to carry out that rule. And that is to punish the wicked and to reward the good. And so I'm not saying that the government can't be bigger than that to some degrees when it comes to roads and things like that. But I am saying that the main cause that you're called to that you're called to do by God is to rule in the fear of him. And you cannot rule in the fear of him if you don't know what he's calling you to rule as. And that is what the Constitution is based on, biblical law. And so that's the difference between what I'm seeing coming out of the Liberty Defense PAC candidates and any other candidate I've ever talked to in my life is that they understand that and they get that and they're claiming they're going to do that. And so that's pretty cool. I'm looking yep. at you. Go ahead. I, I, I do stand by that. I do want to make sure that for the listeners that it's clear that, and I, I know you know this, Matt, but we both said the Indiana State House, but I am running for uh, the U.S. House seat. Oh, so, sorry about yeah. that. No, no, it's it's all right. I, I brought it up too, but at that Liberty Pack dinner, there were two federal candidates there, myself and um, Niederberger, who's running it for Senate. Um, but yeah, that, that is one of the differences. And here's the reason why, you know, we haven't spoke much about, you know, why am I doing this? I'm going up uh, against a so-called conservative Republican incumbent. But 
you just you said it all you, you just said it all like the a lot of these republicans they say they believe in the core values of the republican party you can look up the core values of the indiana gop on their website they, they say that that's what they're doing but they don't do it when they go to washington dc and they vote and these issues are very important to me because these are big issues that have been a part of my life and that's why i feel god's calling was for me to to run for the u.s house war is a very important issue to me and i believe that people are interested and should understand the perspective of war from someone that's actually pulled a trigger in war that's looked down the scope of an m4 and has stacked dead bodies and has lived that lifestyle it is brutal and it is devastating and it is destructive and it should not be taken lightly and my experiences in war have really led me to align with people like thomas massey and ron paul who are who do not believe in foreign intervention all over the world right we can barely even take care of our own backyard but we claim to know how other places can live and i've been in other countries and realized that that kind of intervention is just a way to spill blood and treasure of our own people and although not all the people that go over there to war carry back come back with like a visible scar a lot of brothers come back with trauma that you can't see because you you'll never shake the visions you'll never shake the smells you'll never shake um the just the the, the big picture of what of what that devastation is look like and there is never a time that there i've i make a point to tell people this there's never was never a time that i saw a dead body of the enemy and i thought to myself oh that that's good we just killed the enemy i never thought that it it was all sympathy it was man that was someone's son that was someone's father that was someone's um brother and it's hard. And until you're faced with all those, I think that you're not so quick to say, oh, yeah, we need to just go bomb, fill in the blank. Or we need to go, uh, because of NATO, we need to go get involved in the Ukraine. Um, you know, Congress, in my opinion, has given up their, their specific responsibilities of determining who and when the United States goes to war with and how we pay for it. And they've given that up. And it has led to all kinds of catastrophes all over the world and untold millions of dollars, millions of deaths, hundreds of millions of deaths and billions of dollars. And that's one thing um, that that the person I'm running against has not voted against the war, does not get up, use the power and the position of their, uh, their pulpit to present a different way of approaching these issues. Same with the mandates. Um, the person I'm running against, Jim Baird, co-sponsored the Vaccine Registry Act, or also known as the um, Immunization Infrastructure Act, which gives teeth to a database that the government has in determining who has been vaccinated and who is not. And, you know, I tell people I'd rather my neighbor have that information, not the federal government. So, again, these issues are very big issues that... Uh, that I feel that our Republican leadership in Washington, D.C. is not standing up against. They have a they have a position. They have a position of authority um, in the case of the incumbent that I'm running against. 
he's got experience in war in Vietnam. That whenever he comes back and they ask for more money for more war and to get involved, it's yes, 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 yes. And I don't believe that is the way that that the Lord has instructed us to go about um, our interactions with other countries. And it's frankly not the way that the Constitution says to do it or any of the founding fathers who said, do not look for monsters abroad to slay. It will end up, you know, uh, destroying our own way of life and our own constitution. So I'm sorry to go off on a tangent. No, I'm good. I'm glad you said that. First of all, I'm glad you corrected me. I apologize. I, I'm just so used to interviewing state representatives. I kind of just thought you were another one of them. And I apologize for that, <clears throat> Charles. Um, so you're running for U.S. House of Representatives in Indiana yep. on the 4th <clears throat> Congressional District. Right. And that is a whole nother ball game. Um, and, and so... That explains why your district is so large. Like I was just trying to put some things together and it wasn't fitting, but now it's all coming together and making sense. <laughs> yeah. It's because I yeah. had it wrong and I apologize for that. No big deal. It's so no big deal. It, is, it is big. And that people are telling me, you know, what are you doing trying to get, you know, jump to the front of the line? Like th- this is big and this requires big ideas and bold leadership. I've done all this before. When I went into the army in 29 and I enlisted, I didn't just join the infantry or join the National Guard. I went directly into the pipeline that feeds the U.S. Army Special Forces. I was in that pipeline from day one. I passed every single hurdle. And after three years, three years, I earned a Green Beret. I could have gone to eat. I could have done what people told me. The recruiter said, hey, what are you doing? You, you know, you don't go into Special Forces until you got some experience in Army. Get a deployment under your belt. Do this, this, this. Or they said, why don't you go in as an officer? You can go into a lieutenant. You could be a, a, an officer in the in the uh, infantry or whatever. Then you could go to the Green Berets. I'm like, guys, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm I'm going big. I'm going to go serve <laughs> with the best of the best. That's what's how I'm going to go. If I'm going to go to war, I'm going to go with the best of the best. Um, but again, yeah. So I get a lot of that. Is like, hey, young whippersnapper, what are you doing challenging an incumbent? You know, this is a known entity. Um, and I'm saying that, like, that's the problem. That's the problem is that uh, we don't have more common men stepping up to um, right this ship. And I will say I will I won't put a limit on how many terms I serve. I don't know. But I don't I don't mind having an, a, a primary challenge every two years to make sure that I am doing the, the, the way that, that needs to be done adhering to the principles that I'm not giving in to the swamp and the corruption uh, in Washington, D.C. So if I get primaried every two years, that's fine. That's not what the Republican Party of Indiana wants right now. They do not want anyone being primaried. And it's been you know, proven to me firsthand. Um, and but, how, um, so did you want to get into that on how you can tell that they do not want any primaries for their incumbents? Sure, I can. I'm reluctant to do it, but I don't mind. Well, you know, if you're reluctant, mind. we don't have to talk about it today. Um, I, you know, that's totally up to you. Again, it's another form of government overreach, and and it is nonsense. But I just want to put it in your, you know, in your lap. And if you want to talk about, it, we can talk about it. I don't mind. I'm not going to shy away from it. it. It will take me probably 10 minutes to go over if if that if we have the time to do it. I think we got time if you got time. Okay. All right. 
So this uh, a law was just changed um, just this year in January of 2022. They changed the Indiana state law that would require a candidate to have voted in at least two primaries for that party that they're running for. Whereas last year in 2021, it was one primary. Um, I have been a Republican my entire life uh, in at I, Indiana University. I worked on Steve Forbes campaign in 2000, right? So I was young, 20 some years old. I voted since I was 23 years old as, as a Republican, uh, even voting most times when I was deployed or overseas. Um, the only year I couldn't vote is was 06. And that was when I was in the Q course and I just couldn't get away to vote. Um, but I only have one primary vote behind me as a Republican. I don't have two. So what that requires is a signature from your county residents, uh, your county GOP chairperson. And after meeting with that chairperson, uh, after trying to track them down for two weeks, they didn't want to talk to me about this. Uh, I got I uh, did a 12 page, approximately 12 page legal notarized affidavit showing my history in the Republican Party. Um, my just all my military history, my uh, involvement in the Republican Party, my Republican Party na uh, National Committee card from 2003, showing me as a sustaining member, my voting record that showed that I had one primary vote, but that county chairperson would not sign the one certificate I needed uh, to um, to get on the ballot without facing a challenge. So I am on the ballot. That's what I want to make very clear. If you look up on the Secretary of State website, it shows that there are two people running for the fourth district, myself and uh, the incumbent, Jim Baird. So I am on the ballot, and I understand it's hard to get someone off the ballot. They would have to challenge my candidacy to get me off the ballot. And I'm very confident. And again, this is goes back to, in, in my opinion, my reading of James 1 through 8, where I you can easily give up. You can have doubt. Oh, is this meant to be? Do I have the faith that this is the path God wants me to be on? I am confident of it. I don't even worry about this challenge. I'm certain that if this is the path God has me on, then that challenge, we're going to defeat that challenge. I'm very confident that's going to happen. And I think that's going to be the nail in the coffin for the establishment over here is the bad PR they're going to get when they challenge a guy like me who just wants to give the voters another option in the primary. Um, and they're going to try to block it. Uh, so, you know, the mandate of that person to sign that certificate, if I haven't been clear, I'm kind of jumping all over, but their mandate is just to determine, is Charles Bookwalter a member of the Republican Party? That's it. And I, we proved that to this person, and they declined to sign our certificate because we didn't go to their dinner and ask their permission to run. And um, I think that if people knew that that's what was happening and knew that this is the kind of shenanigans that takes place and that good people don't run for office because of this kind of these things that the establishment parties do, they would be very up, unhappy and disgusted more than they already are with the way they control even who can run. Frankly, it's unconstitutional and illegal. And there's other instances in the United States where states have tried to pass the same law that Indiana did that requires two primary ballot votes before you can run, and they were struck down.
So we're very confident that that's not going to be an issue uh, in this situation. Was that clear? Matt? That was. Uh, and so I do okay. have a couple questions, but it's not because you weren't clear. Um, one is, in those states where it was struck down before, I mean, I find that very interesting because Indiana has a tendency to go off of case law like you wouldn't believe. They won't do anything with abortion. They won't do you know, things with the tough topics because, oh, well, this state tried it and it failed, or we tried it and we got embarrassed, so we're not doing it again. So they're very, they're very protective of the, their, their image and their party when it comes to things like that. I wasn't aware that this happened in other states and it got struck down. So I find that very interesting that they would be willing to put their necks out there and, and fight for this one where they know it's been struck down before, but they're going to go ahead with it anyhow. Do you know any other information on what states that was and things like that? Yeah, I, I know it was in Utah, and I don't have the specifics. I've got legal counsel that works on this and is working on this entire thing as we speak. Uh, the, 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 the challenge, if we even get challenged, they, need to, they have to challenge by February 11th, and our hearing is on February 18th, if we get challenged. Again, there is a very real possibility they're not even going to do it. Right. They're just going to let us stay on the ballot. If they do challenge it, uh, I don't think they have much of a case. But that case was in Utah. Um, that, that's one reason that we are challenging this is because we need precedent uh, to show that this is just another this this law was snuck in in last session as an amendment. And I can't remember what bill it was. And again, this just goes to show. Sorry, I'm going all over the place, but. This is exactly what I would do in Washington, D.C., right? There is a big push by a group in Washington, D.C., and I, and I can't remember the name of it, but they have a sponsor. They have a bill called the Read the Bills Act that I would make it a priority to try to get legs under this with other liberty-minded Congress people that would force legislators to only pass bills that are that can be read within 24 hours and are only germane to one topic. And that's something that Indiana does. It has to have germaneness to to go in as an amendment or whatever. But in the, our federal government, they just throw all these, these things on there that you don't know what is in the bill. And the bill is 20,000 pages. And, you know, Speaker Pelosi and other people have said themselves, we just need to pass it to see what's in it. That means we need to pass it to let these um, – these unelected bureaucrats determine how you're all going to be, uh, how you're all going to be uh, regulated is essentially what that is, that is saying. So that would be a push that I would, that, that is an example of what happened in the Indiana Senate. I don't, or the Indiana House, I don't know exactly, I don't know the, all the details behind it, but I do know it was an amendment that was put in another bill. They slipped this in. No one cares because it helps the incumbents. Right. But it does right. need to be challenged. Right. It needs to be challenged. Right. So are you challenging that or are you if you are you challenging that in the courts right now or is that something you will challenge if it, there, yeah, it, you need it to? Does it, right. It doesn't require a lawsuit or any kind of it, it just requires they if the ball was now in their court. It, it would have to be the, the, the GOP chair that didn't sign that certificate or a random voter in the district could challenge that. But, you know, like if a random voter challenges it, I think that even makes our case stronger because 
why would anyone challenge if they they don't have they won't have the background they didn't see the legal affidavit that would be a, probably even easier to beat in a hearing um the chair if they challenge it well they have they've got the legal document that i provided them it's notarized i hand delivered it to them they're going to have to answer for why they didn't sign that document um but really this they that's one reason that they may not challenge right because it will open the if they challenge and i win then there's precedent set that that rule is in effect is um is not is there's precedent that goes against that rule if they don't challenge it i stay on the ballot no one's tested that that rule does that make sense that does so uh, there are people who have not voted in two primaries that are running for state office and they were not allowed to get on the ballot how were you able to get on the ballot and uh, other people are not able to get on the ballot how's that work so I don't know if there's a difference between state and federal, because when you fa- fill out these candidate forms, they are, they are uh, there is some verbiage that applies to just state officials, elected officials and federal. So that might have something to do with it. Um, the other thing is, this is uh, I hate to say it, but I, I think this might be the case in some instances, is that it's just um, what do they call it? In the, it is uh, self-selection is what it is and this is what they want they want a person like me to go to the county chair and that county chair tell me no and have me grovel and then say okay fine i'll do it in two because that's what they tried to tell me why don't you come to our parties and go to our lincoln day dinners and talk to us officers and then maybe consider running for election in 2024 i said that's not what i'm doing i'm running in 2022 and so i think that that is what happens in some of these cases is that some people self-select they just say, is the fight worth it or not? And I'm just going to self-select. I'll wait. I'll do to two ballots. I've got one primary vote. I'll do it again this year, and then I'll be able to run again or whatever. And look, Matt, I'm a fighter, man. I've always been a fighter. If I wasn't a fighter, then I would have just rolled over and said, okay, we'll wait until 2024. I don't think that we can wait. I don't think there's time to wait. I think that these issues need to be addressed immediately. This is only going to get worse, and it is only going to get worse, particularly in the hands of septuagenarian congresspeople that refuse to uh, resign, to resign, right, to not run again. They refuse to retire. Uh, the House is so old. There are so many older generation people there that think in the mindset of what it was like to live in America in the 80s and that we don't live in that country anymore. And partly is because of their malfeasance and their fecklessness in standing up to the federal government. And they claim to be um, conservatives. But when any hard decision comes their way, and a hard decision is one that comes from a Republican leader or a Republican party where you have to, again, are you going to vote for the party or are you going to vote by, for, for God? Right. And they chose, they choose to vote for the party. Um, so that's to, again, in a long way of answering, I think that some people just self-select and they choose to uh, just not put up the fight. Well, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to fight. We're going to win. And when we win this challenge, it's going to, I think, open up a, a, a new, a, just a whole new way uh, you, you know, a whole new campaign. Awesome. Really. Yeah. So 
here's what bothers me about this the most. Now, I've heard two sides of this issue. I heard that the GOP is a private group, a private organization, and they can make whatever rules they want. And it's not unconstitutional because you could run as a third party. They're not telling you you can't run for office. They're just telling you you can't run as a Republican. Um, and then the other thing is, and this all goes back to we refuse to live by lies, all right? Um, this goes back to the two primary rules well is, well, we want to do this because we want to make sure there's not Democrats slipping in and posing yep. as Republicans and getting on the ballot and they're actually Democrat and they're not Republican. So we're trying to protect the party. Now, here is why that is 100% false. And I can't believe how clear it is and how um, brash they are in peddling this lie that they're trying to protect the party. Um, Indiana has open primaries. What does that mean? That means that Anybody, no matter what your party affiliation is, can go vote in a Republican primary. You don't have to be a Republican to vote in a Republican primary in the state of Indiana. You can be a Democrat to go and vote in the Republican primaries. So there is no protection over who is getting in. So this two-year, this two-primary rule is a big lie because if they were really concerned about Democrats getting in on the Republican Party ticket, they would close They'd the primaries. Close the primary, yeah. It makes zero sense. So it's yeah. not about protecting the party. It's about protecting the incumbents. And therefore, if you draw that out even farther, Charles, they don't care if you're a Democrat or a liberal or a socialist, they don't care as long as you have an R behind your name. They're all right with it if they just have an R behind their name. I, look, Matt, I would suggest to you that, yes, that, is, that R, but I would suggest it's a C. It's not an R or a D. It's a C. And that C stands for captured. That's what they want. They want captured individuals that will do as they are told that will vote the way they know they're going to vote and it doesn't come down to the core beliefs of the republican party or the democrat party either either way um they are looking for people that are known entities that will uh do what is required of them to advance whatever agenda that is going on and i don't believe that that agenda right now in the republican party is the agenda of the core beliefs of the Republican Party, limited government, clear and transparent government, uh, all the things on the on the core beliefs platform, which is what the liberty candidates believe in, right? The Constitution, like we said, to the very front, it is such a distorted document that those people that are responsible for this, they are still in office. They've been in office for 40, 30, 40, 50 years summit state and then moving up to the federal government and they're responsible for this sabotage for this betrayal of the american right is exactly what it is by getting us in endless wars by printing money and stimulus packages without fail it doesn't matter if you're republican you will vote for every stimulus package which goes against everything that the republican party stands for as far as small government so again i think that um, 
you, you know, you're right to say that you just have to have an R or you just have to be an incumbent. But I know it's bold. And this is why the people don't like me the, at the party don't like me is because I think it's being captured. I think they're captured individuals. Tony Fauci is a perfect example of that. And by captured, I mean someone that is owned by the powers that be, either the lobbyists or the regulators or the private companies that they regulate. But somehow they're captured in the system and they stay there because it benefits them financially and, um, and you know, through the um, – through the art of power. Yes, and I agree with that as well. What do you well. think about that? Do no, you, I, I agree. agree. I, I, yeah, you know what? It might not. Here's what I think. I think that we have we're living in a <clears throat> excuse me. We're living in a time where the party platform don't matter. It doesn't matter at all. What matters mm-hmm. is is the Republicans need to defeat the Democrats. The Democrats need to defeat the Republicans. Those are the two thoughts. And we will defeat them any way we possibly can. And that includes selling our souls to the devil. And so it's not really about principles anymore. It's about party. So we got party over principle politics going on all over this country in every state. No doubt. And so what it has become is the Republicans are determined to defeat the Democrats and the Democrats are determined to defeat the Republicans. And especially on the Republican side, they'll use any way they can if they think that will inch them closer to victory. And that includes absolutely ignoring and defying the platform of the Republican Party itself. And I, th- I, I mean, I, that's what's going on. I think you're right. People get captured. People, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, if you break it all down, I think the nucleus there is party over principle politics and that right there is leading us to what we're seeing today it, it, they'll protect the party regardless on how wrong they are and it's not about principle anymore yeah i agree and what i hope that your listeners and that the hoosiers in district 4 see about someone like myself is by kind of talking about my history my past standing up you know fighting the fight is like we all agree that this current administration, uh, in my opinion, was they used the COVID pandemic to change the way we voted and manipulate the voting to get Donald Trump out of office and install someone else. I think that is part of this whole big picture. And this administration is reckless in the way they're spending, but no more reckless than the past few administrations have been. Right. Over the past, yeah, over the past few years. I mean, it can still be an R, and they spend more than the last president that was a D. Right. Right. So, right. Right. So they're all responsible for this. Now, candidates like myself see, like, this the Biden administration is, is just irresponsible and nefarious. Right. But that's why we need liberty candidates. That are going because it's easy to stand up against the Biden administration. It's more difficult to stand up in your party, in your ranks, and say, "Men and women, these are our core principles. We have to get back to this. It's what the American people want. We have a time right now. We have an opportunity in this epoch, if you will, to redirect people to stop, you know, going to the federal government with their hands out, you know, with, with wanting money and power and all the things that you want." 
and get back to a society where we decide among ourselves, among our community, through associations, what Tocqueville wrote about what's so great about the American society in the 18th century, about having civil associations where people were involved with the decision making of our local communities. But we can't do that because the federal government has usurped all those powers and everyone has lived that lie. They live in the world right now that they've always lived under socialism. They don't know any other system. Well, now that socialism is creeping towards communism and tyranny. And we need people that are going to go to D.C. and not just stand, not just do the easy thing. The easy thing is to say, oh, yeah, this Biden administration is terrible. That's easy. We need people to say, I don't care what's after your name. We're not going to pass these bills. We're not going to print off more money for stimulus packages. We're not going to lock down our communities. And, and if given the platform, if I'm given a platform uh, through this seat, then I am going to stand up with a micro with a you know microphone or whatever you want to call it, and I'm going to blast that message to everybody. And I'm going to provide air support for all these local liberty candidates that are going to win the state house to embolden them to stand up for these core first principles that John Locke, you know, talked about and um, that we incorporated into our, our American system of government, um, that we need somebody, not somebody that just reads off of a, 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 a speech. Teleprompter. Do, a teleprompter. I, I mean, and, 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 and some of these issues are important. I get it. But our representative in the fourth district is not talking about these these issues that are in your face that are affecting every single person in the district. People like me that own a Jimmy John's. You know, when I was going through all that, resigning my job, taking a huge pay cut, uh, not knowing what our future held, I was looking around like, where's my support? Where's my back? Why isn't our local leadership standing up against to either regime, either the R's and the D's saying, this is not gonna happen here in our district. This, these are mandates. These are laws that we can look at the facts and the facts are not playing this out. And we're Hoosiers and we don't live by lies and we're not just going to we're not just sheeple. Right. Yep. Um, you know, and we need people to stand up across every state and stand up even to the people that are in our own party and say, this is not the way we're going to move forward. Or this is a new era that we're going to govern people we're going to govern ourselves, right? They, they want to govern us, but we can govern ourselves. We've proved it. We can do it. And it's time to, like I say, turn this ship around. That's good, Charles. Charles, thank you so much for coming on today and talking. Um, I hope that a lot of people listen to this and, and hear who you are, why you're running, what kind of man you are. And thank you for, for coming on and spending an hour and 20 minutes with me. I'm looking over your website right now, and uh, go to his website. It's tcharlesbookwalter.com. That's tcharlesbookwalter, W-A-L-T-E-R.com. And on his website, he has all the issues he's running on, um, what is important to him. And we covered most of them today, some we did not. And then he has some fantastic pictures of him, looks like over in Afghanistan, and even and just as important he has a place where you can contribute to his campaign um so we 
If you like what you heard today, if you want to support Charles, go to his webpage and support him financially. Or if you can be feet on the ground for him, I'm sure that he has to cover a lot of ground and he needs help with running this thing. Uh, Get involved. Um, One of those pictures here on your website shows you smoking a pretty fat cigar. You like smoking cigars? It not not I don't do this so much anymore. Over there, when you're hungry, you'll you know smoke cigars, <laughs> smoke cigarettes. Can, really, can is it a hunger you. thing? Yeah, yeah, it's a hunger thing. That's really, because I love smoking yeah. cigars, and it has nothing to do with hunger. But, yeah, uh, my, my brother does too, and he he offers them to me. But I I usually demure at, at this point, you know. But I have done it in the past. So is that an Afghan cigar? Or does somebody mail that to you? It was probably mailed in the care package. Okay, probably a good one too. I was going to say, if it was Afghan, it might have some uh, opium in it or something. you got to be careful with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel uh, whatever. I don't, I don't know what opium makes you feel like necessarily, but um, I probably felt more sick to my stomach than anything after that big fat cigar. Oh, did you? Well, it looks cool. I mean, you got some nice shades on and you're driving a Humvee, it looks like, or something. With a big fat cigar in your mouth. I like it. So, yeah. All right, my man. Well, hey, Matt, thanks, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate. It. I'm really happy to connect with you and give me an opportunity to talk and you know to um, align, like yeah. with the Liberty Group and by the motto "Live Not by Lies." I'm so pleased that you're doing it too, and that you stood up, man. That you stood up and fought when they tried to shut you down, and that's what turned everybody on to you is courage, right? Commitment, courage, uh, the ability to fight and not be walked all over. That's what we have in likeness, and yep. it's nice to talk to you about it. Hey, yes, likewise, and uh, you know they say courage is contagious, and I'm thinking that we're seeing that now. I mean, I don't know if you're following that Canadian trucker thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's just kind of cool seeing people finally starting to stand up and to push back in mm-hmm. big numbers, and we're thrilled about that. We're praying for it. Um, and so, yeah, it's good. I think good things are happening. We live in exciting times and we live in times like John Locke lived in a lot of ways and John Knox and our founding fathers. And, and so this is not a time to retreat. It's a time to push forward. It's a time to be resilient and to fight. And thank you for doing that, Charles, Charles. And thank you for spending time with me on this podcast. And I hope to keep in contact with you throughout your race. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.